podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Atalanta preview episode, and I am joined by a guest to help me out with that. He is the man behind the Atalanta BC News account on Twitter. Nigel, welcome to Fortsanopoli. Hi, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. Good to, good to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. So let's get right into it. And I want to start with some general thoughts on Atalanta's season so far. You're currently sixth in the table with a record of 12 wins, six draws, and seven losses, which amounts to 42 points. That's five points behind Roma and Milan. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of teams that are kind of vying for Champions League qualification. It's kind of every week the order seems to change. But I want to ask, is Champions League qualification still sort of the realistic objective, or was it even an objective before the season started? What are your thoughts on what Atalanta's objectives are now? Well, I mean, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster of a season, to be honest, in terms of how we started with the objectives. Last season wasn't so good, so a return to Europe had to be the minimum expectation this year, I think. Whether that was the Conference League, Europa League or, or Champions League, it's really, really important, I think, for us to be back in Europe. As the season kind of unfolded, I think probably the biggest thing for us, we had an incredible start. We kind of tailed off around Christmas. And then obviously you had the big points deduction for Juventus. I think without that points deduction, you're talking about Europa League being probably the main priority for us. But that 15-point deduction just brought us right back into play with regards to the Champions League situation. Frustratingly, off the back of that, we've not really capitalised. Recent form's been really bad. January, we scored a bucket load of goals. We scored a handful of goals in February. And March has not been particularly profitable so far. So in terms of where we're at at the moment, I think making sure we get European football. But we want to be pushing really, really hard, I think, for that Champions League spot. Whether or not we're capable of doing that in the uh, the latter part of the season, time will only tell. Yeah, the question mark really is what will happen to Juventus because it's starting to look like they might get their 15-point deduction reversed, at least based on the latest reports about the so-called Kovisok paper. For those of you who haven't seen this report, apparently there was this paper that could show that the Fiji Chief's prosecutor's office should not have access to documentation provided by the Torino prosecutor's office when they did. And that, of course, was the new evidence that allowed them to reopen the case, the Plus Valenza case, and ultimately led to the 15-point deduction. So this Kovisok paper could invalidate the entire case due to what is really a procedural error. So in other words, Juve could get off on a technicality, which was, would be so frustrating, I think, for, for a lot of fan bases, because you really just want justice to be served. Ironically, Juventus themselves went around the process by going straight to the regional administrative court of Lazio, 
who then ordered the prosecutor's office to share this Kovasak paper with them. So, uh, you know, this whole thing is starting to get very uh, messy. You know, Napoli fans know well from the appeals process we went through when we were given the loss on the table for not showing up at the Allianz during COVID, that there are sort of various levels of appeals. You start with the initial ruling from the sports judge, then you can appeal to the sports court of appeals, then you can go to CONI, which is the Italian National Olympic Committee, and then you can go to the TAR, so which is the regional administrative court. So it seems like Juve kind of skipped a couple levels and just went straight to the top, which is also a procedural violation. So we'll see how that whole web gets untangled. But I mention all of this because if Juve get their points back, then they would automatically shoot up to second in the table, I guess, tied with Inter on 50 points. And that, of course, means that Atalanta would get bumped down one position. Inter and Milan have both seemed to have found their form. They're playing a bit more consistently lately. Roma and Lazio are trudging along. So it's going to be a difficult end of the season for all of these clubs. It's going to be a battle to get into that top four. It may even be difficult to get into Europe altogether. Like, I'm sure all of these sides almost counterintuitively are hoping that Inter win the Coppa Italia because that then frees up another European position because, you know, three out of the four semifinalists, depending on what happens with Juventus, are not currently in that top six. So that's something else to look out for as well. Now that said, you know, we mentioned Atalanta finished outside of Europe last season, eighth place. And if we rewind back to the summer... Would top four have been the objective back then? Because it it really felt to me like it was kind of the end of the old cycle, call it the Illichich, Papu, Duvan, Muriel cycle. And now this was sort of the start of a new cycle. Yeah, that's really fair, Joe. I mean, um, we've gone through quite an evolution, like you say, from that Illichich, Papu, Gomez, Gosens team that that was really, really exciting. We've got a couple of the guys still in there, like Darun, Jim City and Toloi, but it's been a lot of change throughout the entire side. During the summer, like I kind of touched on earlier, it was just a return to Europe, I think, was kind of the expectation. With that change, we've seen a lot of stuff go on off the pitch as well. We've had the takeover from America with uh, Stephen Pauyuko, who's the co-owner of the Boston Celtics. We've had a guy called Lee Congerton come in as well. He's handled all of the recruitment, so he's been responsible for people like Rasmus Hoyland and Ademola Lukman coming in. So it's a completely different lineup, and we've changed quite a lot in terms of the tactical approach. We're not quite as attacking, as ruthless. We've been really, really inconsistent, to be fair, and we've been a little bit slower on the ball. It's it's really been a different brand of football with a different group of players. So just to get back to Europe, I think, was always going to be the aim for this campaign, Joe. Yeah, you talked about the roller coaster earlier, and it almost felt that way also in terms of Gasparini's tactics, because it felt like for the first time in a long while, Atlanta were a bit more focused defensively. And of course, there's always this trade-off where if you focus more at the back, then you're probably going to score fewer goals. Or if you play a full-out attack like Atalanta kind of used to, then you might concede more. But as long as you're scoring four or five goals a game, it doesn't really matter all that much. Now we have this new cycle with guys like Scalvini. You mentioned Lookman and Hoyland. You know, Duven and Muriel are still there, but their productivity has declined dramatically. They're both in their 30s now. They've been slowed down by injuries. And so they're now kind of the backups to Lookman and Hoyland. Now, historically, Atalanta have been very good at timing their player sales. I mean, if you look at the past four or five seasons alone, 
Atalanta have cashed in on guys like Brian Cristante, Frank Kessi, Timothy Castagna, Gianluca Mancini, Amad Diallo, Christian Romero. The list just goes on and on, goes in. Do you think Atalanta maybe waited a little bit too long to pull the trigger on Zapata and Muriel? I think from the outside looking in, when you when you talk about some of the offers that were potentially on the table, so West Ham, Newcastle, Everton, all in and around that kind of 15 to 20 million range. From the outside looking in, I think most people will probably say yes, looking at the form right now of Duvan and the last few months that he's had. But I think if you're, you're within Atalanta, I think that the viewpoints may be a little bit different. I still feel he's definitely got something to give. I'm really glad that we haven't accepted the offers for him to depart and go to the Premier League. I still feel this is potentially the best place for him. But that said, he's just one of those guys at the moment that's just lacking that little bit of confidence. If he goes and taps in a little six-yarder towards the end of the game at the weekend against you guys, you can imagine him going on and having a really strong game the next week and potentially banging in a couple of goals and then a couple of goals the week after. He's he's a bit of a streaky player in that sense. But ultimately, I'm, I'm really pleased we've still got him. Him and Muriel have gone through that kind of very, very similar evolution where they were really, really profitable, really dangerous in that kind of 2020 period. And you could see with Muriel as well last season, just the frustration of just not being involved in the squad and things not going his way. So they've, they've both followed a really similar trajectory, which is quite interesting from being really, really devastating to really struggling to be involved in the team, really struggling just to find any kind of rhythm and, and form. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, I mean, first of all, hindsight is always twenty twenty, so it's a lot easier to, to wait. I mean, it was a pretty sharp decline too. Like these guys were still very lethal up until you know even last season they were still producing the other thing too that i think often gets overlooked especially when you're just looking at stats is kind of the the role that they play within the team and that has evolved a little bit like i can't remember which game it was where hoyland scored and i distinctly remember that zapata was the first guy that ran down the the sidelines and and celebrated with hoyland at the corner flag and the first thing i thought of when i saw that was okay maybe he's now taken on a bit more of this kind of leadership mentor role because hoyland is still very very young right so it's possible that maybe his contributions while they have they're less on the pitch he could be doing a lot more off the pitch the one thing Atalanta have always continued to do very well is develop players and scout players, even if the leadership might have changed, as you mentioned. The decline of Zapata and Muriel, if we can call it that, at least statistically, has not really been felt all that much because of how well Lookman and Hoyland have been this season. How are you feeling about their play, and are you confident that they can be Atalanta strike duo, at least for the foreseeable future before you know people start calling and, and trying to buy them? Yes, sure. I mean, just before I touch on uh, Hoyland and Lookman, just to finish up there on Duvan and Muriel, I think what's quite prominent to remember is you've got to think of the supply line that was around those two players throughout their best run. You're talking Papu Gomez, you're talking Ilicic, you're talking about a player like Remo Freuler that was incredibly underrated that would just keep play ticking over, would run up and down the pitch in the most simplest terms. He was good on defence good on attack, just good at getting involved. And and that kind of supply line was really, really crucial, messed with the kind of style of play that we had in letting Muriel and Duven be so devastating. In terms of Lookman and Hoyland, they're a really, really interesting combination. Lookman is really, really good on the ball. He's got to turn a pace. He loves the ability to kind of beat a player. And he's he's technically sound. I saw him playing when he was about 17 years of age. And he you could tell instantly he was a good player on the ball. So Really, really intrigued to see what he's going to bring to us. I mean, 
He started the season incredibly well. It's just a case with him of finding that right combination that works. It's him, it's Hoyland, it's Boga has typically been the way where we've got the best out of both him and Rasmus up front. Rasmus, again, is, is really interesting, really physical, again, really, really pacey. He'll do 11 second, uh, 100 meter, or less than 11 seconds, I should say. You saw a bit of that against Lazio where he just burned past two players, which was amazing. And he's got an eye for goal and he scored some really interesting goals as well. He's got a couple of really like those near post kind of header type situations. He's good on the one-on-ones. And I think probably the best thing about him is actually his movement, his movement off the ball and just knowing which channels to run in. Yeah, really, really exciting. Bit of a coup to sign him, I think, from Sturm Graz. He hadn't been there a huge amount of time. And Lee Congerton, who we mentioned earlier, was really, really prominent in bringing both of those guys in, him and Lookman. So, yeah, really good recruitment. I think we just need to find that combination that's going to work for both of them going forward in terms of just finding a consistent bit of form for everybody and their team, really. Yeah, it's been a great year for African players, for Nigerian players, because obviously Victor Osiman on Napoli is having the best season of his career. I think we'd be talking even more about Lukman had he not been overshadowed a little bit by Osiman. He has cooled off a little bit lately, but he hasn't scored, I think, in the last five matches, but still third in the league with 12 goals. He was second in the league for a good while, and they think Lautaro just caught up to him uh, over the last few matches. Hoyland took a little bit longer to heat up. I recall Gasparini kind of starting him occasionally at the beginning of the season, and I think he decided, okay, let me take a step back. Let me work on him a little bit longer. He played mostly as a substitute, but then since about the 16th round, I think it was, he's basically been the starting striker, and He's really excelled now. I feel like that time that Gasparini took with him paid off. And, you know, at one point he had five goals and an assist over eight matches. I think he hasn't scored. He didn't score in the last two, but they were tough ones uh, sort of defensively against Milan, who's short up at the back. And Udinez is always a tough defensive side. He did start against Napoli in the first meeting. So we have seen him already, but I don't think he was in the same form then that he is in now. So I think that matchup between Hoyland and Kim Min-jae is something that I'm really excited to watch because Kim is probably the fastest center back in the league. And you mentioned how quick Hoyland is, you know, running into those channels. And I'm also a little bit concerned about the combination because Lookman is probably not an easy player and neither is Boga for that matter in terms of, you know, a center back defending. So I think we're going to need to see some of Napoli's, either their fullbacks helping out a little bit or even a guy like Lobotka or Angisa kind of dropping to help defend these guys because I feel like Lukman can and Boga can kind of drop a little bit and put the center backs in a bit of an awkward position and sort of have to decide, do they press a little bit? Do they leave a little bit of space behind them? If they do, does that give Hoyland space to run into? So I think that whole, that whole matchup uh, defensively is going to be really interesting to watch. There have been other guys as well that that I've enjoyed watching that perhaps haven't played as much. But again, to the point about Atalanta scouting and transfer success, like guys like Ederson, I've been impressed with. Sopi and Ruggetti have played even less, but still seem like they have potential. We might see them play in this match. Now, one of the reasons why Atalanta are where they are on the table is because of their sort of unusual home record, which has been an issue for a couple of seasons now. Atlanta have a record of five wins, three draws, and four losses at home, which is only ninth in the league if we look at the home table. Do you have any theories as to why Atlanta are struggling a little bit at the GWIS? I've got to be honest, Joe, it's such a tricky one to answer. I mean, if we all knew the answer, obviously we'd solve it and we'd do something about it. It's so bizarre. 
you go back again, we keep talking about 2020 because we were so, so good, but our home form was really, really good. You think about some of the, the performances we put in. We absolutely dismantled Milan in the Christmas kit, which was amazing. We had loads of performances like that, and it's so difficult to put something on it. I really wish I could give you like a, a proper solid answer. I just think it's probably you look at the, the evolution of the team. We've gone through a lot of change. You're missing somebody, and we mentioned him earlier, Remo Freuler, who just keeps possession and keeps things ticking over. I think just that combination of change has, has made us maybe a little less confident. You've got players like Papu Gomez and Josip Pilicic that wouldn't hesitate to get on the ball and not afraid to do something clever to kind of keep possession or do something exciting to beat a player. We, we're a very, very different side now. So I'd, like I say, I'd love to give you some kind of genius answer here, Joe, and say that it's down to X, Y, and Z. But it's really, really tricky. It's just inconsistency. We've been inconsistent at home. You look at us beat uh, Salernitana 8-2. And then a couple of months later, we're getting done by Lecce. So it's it's so, so tricky to kind of understand what's going on. I just hope that at some point we can actually put together a little run of results at home and just start to kind of rebuild a little bit of confidence at the place, really. Yeah, Lecce has been Atalanta's kryptonite, it seems, this season. Although they've been a tough opponent for all the top sides, so I don't think there's that's too much to be concerned about. But that's a perfectly reasonable answer. I think you're absolutely right. If you and I could have figured this out, then I'm sure the club would have figured it out as well and probably done something to address that. On the flip side, Atalanta have a very good away record. Third in the league, seven wins, three draws, three losses. Only Napoli and Lazio have better away records. In fact, Lazio have the same point total as Atalanta's away from home. They've just played one fewer game. So that doesn't necessarily bode too well for Napoli. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about injuries, we'll talk about some starting lineups, and we'll make some match predictions. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help me to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at ForzaNapoliPress.com. All right. So we talked about Atlanta's struggles playing at home. The other reason the results have fluttered or floundered a little bit lately is because Atalanta have been hit with a spat of injuries. Can you give the listeners a bit of an injury update? And you did warn me in advance that this segment could take a bit of time. So take all the time you need with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so it's yeah, it's been been pretty catastrophic at the moment. We've had a number of players out. So Giorgio Scalvini was out with an ankle injury, basically a little sprained ankle with a little tweak to the ligaments there. So he's missed the last game. Palomino's been out. Duvan Zapata's been out. He had a thigh injury. Zappacosta went off after the first kind of few minutes of the previous game as well. Hans Hattabor's out for the season with an ACL. Mario Pasolic has also missed the last couple of weeks. So the list has been growing and growing, which has been pretty frustrating. The good news is we've had quite a lot of activity over the last 24 hours on the injury front. So Duvan Zapata returned to full training this week. He's definitely in the matchday squad for the Napoli game, which is great. The other players that are also back that have done both individual work and a tiny bit of training on, I think, Thursday afternoon and Friday with the rest of the squad are Scalvini, Palomino, Paslic, and Zappacosta. So they've all returned to the squad. So basically everyone's in the squad apart from Coop Miners, to keep it nice and simple for you. 
whether or not how many of these guys are going to play is debatable. I think when we were talking about that Lookman, Hoyland, Boga combination earlier, don't be surprised if Boga's left out and maybe Pasolic starts in that slightly more advanced role. That wouldn't be a shock at all. But yeah, other than that, <laughs> it's going to be touch and go. Uh, Scalvini might potentially end up starting. It's a big game. You know, you want the best players out there. Only Mr. Gasparini is going to know exactly which one of these guys are fit enough to kind of feature a feature on Saturday. Yeah, my kind of rule of thumb, at least for predicting Napoli starting lineups, I mean, different coaches take different approaches, but usually if a player does not complete a full group training session prior to the match, then they're far less likely to make it into the starting 11. I don't know if you think Gasparini would take a risk with someone like Scalvini or Zappacosta, but with all of that being said, who do you think Gasparini will line up and and what formation? Well, I don't think you can expect anything too drastic in the formation. It'll be the traditional kind of 3-4-3. That's how I kind of describe it anyway. So you're probably looking at Musso in goal, Toiloi, Demiral, Jim City. Whoever's going to start on the right is debatable. I'd like it to be Soppy. I really want him to get a chance. We mentioned him earlier and he did start the season really, really well. And for whatever reason, he just can't get a game. Gasparini doesn't seem all that keen on chucking him in so I hope he starts if Zappacosta's fit enough he might end up filling that role which would be preferable you know he's probably the first choice guy there so uh, we want him playing Darun, Ederson and Joachim Mahler will complete that kind of midfield four and I would expect it to be Lukman, Hoyland, Boga but as I kind of mentioned earlier Boga might miss out and we might see someone like Pasolic play. Yeah and I think Pasolic started in the first meeting so that's we could see that happening as well. And I think the reason why you call it a 3-4-3 is because sometimes it looks like a 3-4-1-2, sometimes it looks like a 3-4-2-1. I guess the players kind of swap positions and they move around quite a bit. So that's exactly pretty, that. Yeah, so that's pretty close to our predicted starting 11s that we posted online. Obviously, you know, with those changes, which were just announced in the last 24 hours, we might see a little bit different, but we always try to post those starting lineups before the pre-match press conferences just to make them a bit more genuine, a bit more honest than just for fun. Let me walk through Napoli's lineup that I think we'll see. There are a couple of doubts or a couple of players that will be absent for this match. I'm not expecting many changes from Luciano Spalletti, even though we play again in the Champions League on Wednesday. If the first leg of the Champions League tie was any indication, I think Spalletti feels like his regular starters are fit enough to play twice in a week on occasion, not Every week, obviously, but the schedule has been actually pretty friendly for us, especially not playing in the Coppa Italia. We have seven or eight days of rest between the Lazio match and this one, and then we have another four days of rest, I believe, between the Atalanta match and the Eintracht Frankfurt match, which is quite a bit of rest on either side of this match, and that's why I'm not expecting too much rotation. Now, there is an argument to be made that perhaps Spalletti should rotate just a little bit maybe even to catch the opponents off guard because at the moment our starting 11 is so predictable that I think it makes it a little bit easier for the opponent's coach to plan for it. I guess in Spalletti's case, he's just so confident in the quality of the squad that maybe he thinks, well, even if you know who I'm going to play, it's still going to be very difficult for you. There's also an argument that we risk having our substitute players kind of fall out of form because they're not playing enough. So then when you do need to rely on them, whether it's as substitutes coming on in the second half or hopefully, God forbid, doesn't happen. But if you pick up an injury here or there, 
then now you have guys that haven't played a whole lot in the last month or two coming on and, and needing to regain their form rather than already be in form. But anyhow, I think Spalletti will line up in his usual 4-3-3 formation with Alex Meret in goal. Meret has played every minute of every match for us this season, so definitely not expecting any changes there. Our back line pretty much picks itself. Amir Rachmani and Kim Min-Jay will play at center back, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Matthias Oliveira will play at fullback. Oliveira will be playing over Mario Rui, who will be serving the second match of his two-match suspension after he kicked out at Francesco Caputo in the Empoli match. If there are to be any changes, I suspect that they would be in the midfield. I'm still expecting our preferred trio of Piotr Zelensky, Stanislav Lobotka, and Andrei Frank Zambo and Gisa. However, it wouldn't be terribly surprising if one of Eli Felmas or Tengi and Dombele started over Zelensky or Ngisa, respectively. I don't think Spalletti is going to change both players. I think that might be a bit too drastic. But I think he might just change one of them. And if he does, Zielinski is probably the more likely player to get the rest. Just because Spalletti just never seems to give Angisa a break for, for whatever reason. Uh, I think, again, he looks at his players and I think certain players, he has more confidence in their fitness. Up top, we'll see one change, which is Matteo Politano starting over Chucky Lozano. Lozano suffered a muscle resentment, which... It's one of these weird Italian translation words that I think loosely translates to sprain, and we never know sort of what the grade of the sprain is and how serious it is and how long it'll take for them to recover. But it doesn't sound terribly serious. I think he's expected to be in the squad for the Eintracht-Frankfurt match, but I'm almost certain that he won't play in this one. And finally, I'm expecting Javicha Karaschelia and Victor Osimhen to complete the front three because they are just too important to our attack to rest. So those are our starting lineups. Let's close the pod with some match predictions. Nigel, how do you see this one playing out? Oh, um, I've got to be honest. I mean, I uh, I fancy us to get a result, actually. And I, um, we've got quite a good record in Naples, particularly in recent years. It's gone particularly well. We've had some really exciting games in the Coral Kit last time out. We scored some great goals. That was one of our best performances last season. We've had Caldara, I think, got a couple of goals down in Naples for us. Um, so, yeah, we've had some great moments. I fancy us to get a result. I would go with maybe a little 2-1. I'll go for us to get a little 2-1 win. I've got to back the boys. I know uh, you guys got beaten by Lazio as well last time, so I'm just hoping, well, not hoping, I'd quite like you guys to go on and, and finish the season in style, to be honest, and lift the trophy. But if you are going to teeter, if it is going to crumble, this is probably the point in the season where it's going to start to happen. So uh, if we can get a result, that would be great. Okay, that's totally fair. I'm kind of on the flip side. I'm not terribly optimistic myself, so we're kind of aligned in that regard. I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw, and I'm going to give all the star players a goal. So Cavada, Osiman, Lookman, Hoyland, <laughs> all the strikers or attacking players, I guess you can say. The reason I'm going with a draw is because I feel like there are just so many conflicting statistics when I look at this match. I mentioned, you know, Atalanta's very strong away record. Napoli happened to have one of the best home records in the league. Only Inter have a better home record. But as you mentioned, we just saw Lazio beat us at the Maradona. In fact, that's why we don't have the best home record in the league anymore because of that one loss. So it's not impossible that we lose at the Maradona. We also lost to Cremonese at the Maradona in the Coppa Italia. That said, Atalanta do not have a very good record against the top teams this season. I was looking at the results and, you know, there was a draw to Milan, which is totally respectable, but lost to Lazio, lost to Napoli, 
lost to Inter, draw to Juve. I guess you can kind of debate whether that's a good or bad result. Juve has been an odd team this season. And then another loss to Milan. The only top teams that Atlanta have beat so far this season were Roma and Lazio 1-0 and 2-0 respectively. But both of those matches were away from home. So again, that, that home record is something that really concerns me. Um, and then I also wonder how Napoli will cope mentally, both with the loss to Lazio and also with that Champions League match coming up. You know, will they have an eye on that match and perhaps take their eye off the ball a little bit? If recent history is any indication, Napoli do tend to respond well to losses. After the loss to Inter in the league, we won eight consecutive league victories. Even if you look at our losses in all competitions, we've responded quite well. After the Liverpool match, we won three matches in a row. After the Inter match, we won two in a row. And then after that Cremonese loss, we won seven in a row. The other thing that may affect these players psychologically is that Inter play before this match they play on friday in fact only in a couple of hours an hour or so after uh, we're recording this so i wonder how that result might affect them psychologically as well if at all because if inter win then technically heading into this match the lead would be reduced to 12 points which starts to feel a lot closer than it was you know at 15 points and i'm sure the northern newspapers would have just an absolute field day if inter win just to talk about how the title race is not over and Inter is still alive and all these sorts of things. We only seem to make it on the cover page when something bad happens, like when Lazio beats us. On the other hand, if Inter lose or draw, as unlikely as that may be, I mean, at least it's not in Milan, so that that helps a little bit. Then at worst, our lead would be 14 points, so that would take a little bit of the pressure off. So as you can see, there's a whole (laughs) whole bunch of different conflicting kind of stats there. And that's why I'm going with a draw. Ironically, this fixture rarely results in a draw. So I guess I'm going a little bit off uh, on a tangent there. It's only happened twice in the last seven and a half seasons. And one of those times was in the Coppa Italia. Anyhow, Nigel, that is all we have time for today. But any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, ultimately, if we if we are to get a result, I just want to see a good performance. Like you said, we've been so inconsistent. The away form has been half decent. So... I just want to see a half decent performance, lots of chances created, and then whatever we get off the back of that, then happy days. But uh, really appreciate you having me on the podcast, Joe. Good to speak to you, and hope you and your listeners really enjoy uh, the remainder of the uh, the season, apart from at the weekend, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's that's usually uh, the sending off that I get, which is totally <laughs> fine. I'm I'm very grateful for you taking the time to speak with me today. So thank you so much for that. You can find Nigel on Twitter at atalantabc underscore news. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Pod. If you have a moment, please leave us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast platform. That always helps us to grow the show. I will be back next week to review this match and to preview the return leg against Eintracht Frankfurt. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.